everyone, and welcome to How to College for First Gens, where we have real conversations about what it's like to be a first-generation student before, during, and after college. If you're a new listener, our goal here is to democratize knowledge that we've gained along the way, learn a bit more about first-gen experience, and hopefully help others going through some of the same challenges that we've experienced by sharing lessons learned from fellow first gens. I'm Mijan, one of the podcast co-hosts and a first-generation student myself. Today, we'll be talking with Oscar about his first-generation journey. As a first-generation college student like many of our listeners, and currently is a successful founder and CEO of Aspera Consulting. He has more than his fair share of wisdom to share with all of us, so let's dive right in. Well, hello, Oscar. Thank you so much for allowing us to have you on the show today. No, thank you, uh, Mijin, for having me here. I mean, this is a topic that is very, very dear to my heart because I am a first-generation professional. Amazing. I feel like, especially on this very special occasion of being the first-gen student, I think our listeners would really love to hear about someone who has went through the journey before they have or if they're still going through it and actually get to see, you know, that it's not just them that who had to go through these journeys and you can all do it and figure out and well I wouldn't say that there's ever like a stopping point but like you get across this part of your journey and see the other side yes 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 no it's true and you know what and we'll talk about this I'm sure a little later but um, we're talking about a journey here and even when we are six feet under the journey will continue because we don't stay the same okay so it is a journey for sure well then let's start with some easier softer questions would you mind telling us a little bit more about yourself your family and your experience through your educational journey yeah so I was born in Southern California in Riverside, to be specific. My parents at the time were migrant workers. And a month after I was born, we moved back to Mexico, lived there until I was five. And then my parents decided that they wanted to come back to California for maybe for about a year save money, and then return back to Mexico. And they lost track because eventually we ended up relocating to the uh, San Francisco Bay Area, which is where I live and I've grown up. When we came back to California, my dad already had his green card. He got his green card back during the 50s and 60s. There was a program called the Bracero Program, but my mom was undocumented. So um, when we returned, again, she was undocumented for a number of years. And then eventually she, she did get her green card. I'm the only one out of 10 siblings that went off to college. My dad here in the U.S. was a dishwasher. My mom worked as a hotel maid and you know housekeeping and didn't speak English. I mean, the minute I learned how to speak English, I became my parents' translator, which was in kindergarten until they passed away about six years ago. I went off to, I was fortunate enough to go off to and attend UC Berkeley. I majored there in Chicano studies, graduated. And then, you know, what's the next step? You got to go get a job. And so I uh, kind of navigated, you know, different jobs. My very first job out of college was in retail management. I realized that I turned into a Scrooge after going through the first holiday season in retail. And so about a year and a half into it, I left. But um, my career journey has included also working in the tech industry for startups for 12 years. I uh, co-founded a nonprofit with family and friends. I was totally volunteer-based. And then I transitioned careers. I went to go work as the Chamber of Commerce CEO for almost seven years, left there, and then I did a one-year consulting gig at LinkedIn doing community relations work. And then for the last six years, I have my own company, Aspita Consulting. We do consulting in the area of community relations, workforce development. And then the other area is the training, which I provide very culturally relevant career development and leadership training to um, students, college students, and professionals. 
Thank you so much about sharing your entire journey. It seems like you really started from a humble beginning, like a lot of our students, and, and really navigated your way through. And you know, life is never linear, but it seems like you really found something that is near and dear to your heart. And it seems like somehow, you know, at the end of the day, what you're doing today ties partly to you know your Chicago Studies major way back when too. Yes. Here's the thing: is is that somehow we get programmed that you have to major, especially like here in Silicon Valley. Everyone, and listen, I am all for people getting into STEM. Here's what, to me what STEM stands for. STEM stands for stop thinking everyone needs to major in engineering in order to work in tech because I am proof that that is not the case. Just like you said, you know, your life isn't linear. There's different paths. Just like going off to college. You can go straight from high school to a four-year university, or maybe you go work, or maybe go to community college, or heaven forbid, now today, the cool thing is to take a gap year, right? But still, as long as you get your four-year degree, I don't care if it takes you 50 years or if you do it in one month, okay? We all have our own journey, our own story to tell. For sure. I think that's a beautiful point. And we really, at the podcast, we're not trying to tell all the students that, hey, go straight from high school to a four-year, or hey, like do, you know, you have to go to college in this order, or whatever this time but I feel like it is really doing what's right for you and what makes the most sense for your journey and hopefully we can provide a little more insight and guideline that if people do realize that this is something they want to do that they can do it a little easier than we had to do yes yes absolutely then I guess when was the moment that you realized that you were a first-gen student when did I realize you know when I realized that when I was in college all of a sudden I uh, you know UC Berkeley 30,000 plus students all super brainiac folks I had good grades in my English class in high school all four years and then all of a sudden I must have done that poorly on the SAT score because all of a sudden I'm at Berkeley I'm in remedial English because all of a sudden they're telling me that my writing sucks and I'm like what the heck and so I'm in this bonehead English class that you only get two chances to pass and if you don't pass it the class you get kicked out of college and so I felt inferior part of that imposter syndrome and that's when going to get help and then I realized that they're you know at the time the EO PS, early outreach program services, and some other for minority students. And I'm like, they're like, oh, you're the first thing your family go call. Oh, yeah, we have the services. And I'm like, oh, what are you? Oh, you're a first generation. Oh, okay. I'm, I didn't know that, you know? And so my whole point to answer your question is when did I know is when others pointed out that I was a first generation. That's when I found out. That's so interesting because I feel like a lot of the times we hear similar stories of students finding out that I didn't even know. And then based on some of the demographic information they may have provided or going to some other resource on campus and somehow they find out, hey, you're you're first gen. And then there are these extra resources or things like that. And I think it's very interesting because it's not an identity, like for example, race or gender that we learn early on in our lives very easily, but something that we are sometimes just told by someone else that this is what you are. And I think it's very interesting how people take on that identity in very different ways throughout their narratives. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, in my opinion, I think sometimes these labels have a double edged sword. What do I mean by that? So, on the one hand, is it's good, it's like a I'm not saying first gen is a disease. That's not what I'm saying here, okay? But it's like when you don't know, like COVID, like prior to, you know, March of last year, like I never even heard of COVID, okay? Corona. I mean, the only Corona I knew was a beer that I've been drinking, okay? Like everyone else, okay? Coronavirus, right? And so, yes, it is important to kind of put a name to certain things, right? 
whether it's a disease or a situation or whatever. Okay, so I get that. That is important because then we can address it. But on the flip side, there's also sometimes it carries a negative connotation because typically when you hear first generation, you think of other things, characteristics, low income, you struggled. Maybe you're not as smart as other folks. It can also have this negative connotation. And I actually, I'll tell you, I mean, one thing because part of my trainings, I talk about this is changing the narrative. And rather than being calling someone a first generation, what if we call them a pioneer? Because see, the word pioneer has a positive connotation. I mean, when we sent the first man to the moon, we didn't call him a first generation moonlander. We call him the pioneers. <laughs> so again, words, some of these some of these labels can be a double-edged sword. Definitely. And I think that's one of the messages we definitely want to send out to our listeners that labels can mean very different things to very different people. But I think it is your own, shall I say, responsibility to make what you want with it, shall I say? Well, it is our own, but it's also not our own because we don't know. I didn't know, okay, that is. And I actually feel that it's also the responsibility of our institutions and our career counselors and the professors to stop using labels like you wouldn't go up to an oversized person be you're fat i mean you said that to me i punch you in the face so it's not just the, the person who is overweight responsibility to get healthy but it's also our responsibility why do you think we have today like on linkedin and other now people are putting out what their preferred pronouns are because it's also our responsibility to see that and identify by those pronouns so it's the responsibility goes both ways for sure thank you for sharing that point that i think building up on talking about about the label or beyond the label, what does it mean for you to be a first-generation college graduate? Bottom line, what it means is resiliency. Here's the thing. We all go through crap in life. Crap stinks. But it's also fertilizer because that's what manure is. How we react to the challenges in life, it is our choice. I've just chosen to learn how to overcome a lot of the challenges in my life. And also, I'll be the first one to admit that I didn't do this by myself. There are so many people that I am grateful to. My third grade teacher, my sixth grade teacher, Mr. Jones, who if it wouldn't have been for him reminding me to get that form signed by my parents that said, yes, I want Oscar to go to this next level of math, I probably wouldn't have been on that college track program in high school and middle school and eventually into high school to be college ready or my Spanish teacher in middle school or my geometry teacher in high school and et cetera and so forth, all these different people and groups. And so for me, to your question is, what does it mean to be first year? Is that I am a pro at resiliency. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. I think a lot of times first year students don't come with just that one identity of of course, we all have multiple identities, but a lot of the times what we see time and time again is how resilient they are and how they're adaptable of molding themselves into different situations and still holding true who they are. Yeah, that is a challenge, holding true to who you are, because naturally, as human beings, we want to fit in, right? We want to belong to a group. And so oftentimes we do things to be accepted. And then there's also the dominant culture, the Anglo culture that puts down other cultures, other ethnicities, other immigrants, even within our own, you know, being myself Mexican, even within my own Mexicans and Latinos, we put other people down. And so, but, but yes, so it is part of wanting to fit in, but it's also eventually feeling comfortable with yourself that you accept yourself. And if other people accept you, awesome. And if they don't, love them from a distance. 
that's a wonderful advice. Love them from a distance. I feel like that's as important as you know trying to be accepted, holding who you are, but also setting some boundaries. Yes. Talking about some of the more story and like narrative based parts of your college journey, could you tell us a little bit more about what it was like and maybe what was your greatest motivator and also your greatest challenges? Yeah. So when I was in fifth grade, my dad one day said to me, he's like, hey, son, you know, get the buckets, the knives, and some towels ready. And I was like, what the heck? This is weird. Like, what are we going to do? And see, what happened was that back in Mexico, my dad had his own business. He had a butcher business. And and so in fifth grade, it was a start of us every weekend going to the local slaughterhouses to kill a pig, cow, goat, and my parents would sell fresh meat the way they do it in Mexico and, in fact, in many other foreign countries. And we did that for about six, seven years. But throughout high school and into college, in fact, even into, I think, my early 30s, while we didn't sell meat anymore, we sold chorizo, Mexican sausage. So every Friday, I would come home from Berkeley to through the Bay Area and help my dad make chorizo the next morning, get up and then go sell it at the San Jose flea market. And, and no one really knew that. Like my friends back in college, I was embarrassed about that. I didn't like doing that. And so there was this sort of this disconnect between what my activities and things that I was doing in college and then coming home to help my parents with their side business. So that was one thing, a different college experience. While most of my friends were living on campus and, you know, they had the traditional, they would come home for Thanksgiving or, or Christmas or something like that, right? I came home every weekend to help on the family business. The other thing too is the first year and a half, I mean, academically, I did struggle. Oh my gosh. I Yeah, it was, you know, I told you earlier the story about English class in like my econ class. I failed it and stat. I mean, I was struggling in many of these classes. I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is super hard. This is super hard. I'm like, I'm not smart enough. But I started to reach out to tutors, to professors, to other friends to help me, you know, in my classes. But also when I realized too, I took an introduction to Chicano history and really loved the class. The professor was super dynamic. The topic uh, obviously is dear to, to my own personal experience. And then the other thing, too, that I found out is that I actually love history. I love it. And so I ended up finding a topic, a major that just spoke to me and that I really, really loved. And so I ended up majoring in Chicano studies and I actually started doing well in school, you know, to to do that. So, again, it was it, I felt like I didn't belong. I'm over here living a different experience because like I said coming on the weekends and and then just struggling in school and then eventually finding a, a major that just spoke to me and, and then beginning to excel in college then would you say maybe finding something that really stuck with you or maybe a calling was something that really motivated you throughout college even though there were so many challenges absolutely and that's part of life that's like with a job I mean so so many people think that you have to get a job or b job or doing this and that and so because you also compare yourself to what your friends are doing you know maybe your friends are working for this marquee company or here like in Silicon Valley maybe your friends are working at Google Facebook LinkedIn or whatever and you're like oh my gosh why can't I get a job like that but the reality is folks, I'm going to tell you this because I'm about to be 53 years old here pretty soon, okay, is is that back then, some of those friends that got a job at a marquee company today hate what they're doing. They're dead in the inside. And in fact, in some cases, their body has caught up to them. They're lifeless, okay? And so quit, A, comparing yourself to other people. B, go try different things out there. Figure out what you like and you might figure out what you don't like and stop doing that. 
And eventually you'll find something that it truly is your calling. But it's like eating. You can't say you don't like something unless you taste the food. So taste opportunities and you'll figure something out that calls you. That is amazing. Taste opportunities. I feel like it really once again goes back to that feeling of like, hey, maybe I'm good enough. I'm not good enough to be here. Feeling of that imposter syndrome that so many of us go through. And and also trying to see like, oh, but like maybe I should be doing that or doing this, especially a lot of our students, you know, thinking that I need to get a job and I can't major in this and I shouldn't major in that. And, and somebody did this and somebody did that. And I feel like at the end of the day, everybody takes a different kind of journey. But I think a lot of the yes. times it's a lot more peaceful when you can be honest with who you are and navigate the world um, through your own lens. Yes, yes. And that's so hard to do because again, there's so many pressures. Sometimes, you know, our own parents have certain expectations of us, right? They, they you know, maybe they were a doctor, lawyer, you know, or, or something like that. And therefore they want you to be that. Maybe, gosh, maybe grandpa was also and grandma was this. And, and so it's kind of like this parental pressure that you need to major or work in a certain feel folks believe me okay because i coach and mentor so many professionals that are 40 and older that are miserable okay and the common theme is is that they weren't doing what they truly truly were passionate about they were doing it for the paycheck and when you can align your love for what you're interested in doing and you can align it with the income heaven on earth hundred percent. And I think it's interesting that you just mentioned that some of the students might come in with, hey, my parents are doctors, lawyers, or whatever, and I need to go in that footstep. But I feel like sometimes I also hear from our first-time students that, hey, my parents have sacrificed so much for me. And, and now that I'm finally the first one in the family to go to college, I should get a job that you know I know will make six-figure salaries. So I should major in this, even though deep down inside, maybe I might want to do something else. What would you tell those students? Well, first of all, that's a normal progression. And I actually do uh, a talk uh, where I describe these three major levels of our professional journey. There is the survival mode where our parents barely had food on the table, maybe in some cases some of us were on welfare, received, you know, public health or or health from nonprofits, right? And both our parents were working two jobs. And gosh, even the cat and the parrot had jobs, you know, just to put food on the table. So you're in this survival mode. And then we first generation professionals make it to college and now more doors of opportunity begin to open up and some of us begin to experience success, okay? Where you get that job, at a good job, you know, you start moving up, you start making probably maybe four or five times the money that your parents made. So you start having success, you start, maybe eventually you get married or you buy that house and you get that car, you have success. And so you feel that pressure too, like you said, of going back and helping your parents parents or, you know, making sure that when you're at that quinceanera or that baptism party or whatever, that family is like, look at my son, look at my daughter, you know, they went to this school, they're working here. Like there's that status that goes with it, but that's success, folks. You're still focused on yourself. It is when you get to a level of significance where you start doing things for the benefit of other people, which is one of the reasons why I love you, Minchi, and the other folks that are part of the First Gen podcast, because you're doing it not for you, even though I'm sure there's some intrinsic value and benefit and good feeling that you're putting this podcast together, but you're doing it because you want to make an impact on the lives of other first generation. That, my friend, is that next stage of living a life of significance. 
which very few people ever get to. Well, thank you so much for the acknowledgement and the encouragement. And hopefully this sheds some light on the journeys that our listeners are going through because it is very easy to think about, oh, the sacrifices that my parents have made or the things they've done and, and think and sometimes maybe limit yourself of what you can and cannot do. Well, then piggybacking on that a little bit, what would you say that has changed since you attended and graduated college? I'll tell you what, for just right now, what popped in my head. There's many things, okay? But I'll tell you, it's the way we tell our story. What do I mean by that? So think about what we're doing right now, okay? We are video recording this on whatever's on Castor or whatever, you know? I mean, you're at your house. I'm at my house. Obviously, you can tell it's my house because it's a messy room, okay? And while well, yours is orderly over there, okay, that's good. But 20 years ago, heck, eight years ago, let alone 20, 30 years ago, okay, when I was graduating, the only way that some this type of an interview, an audio interview would happen would be on the radio. And therefore, who gets to be on the radio, very successful people, very influential people, right? And listen, I don't take away anything from anyone that is super successful and influential. I really don't. But I'm going to tell you something. That dude that is super successful, that CEO for that Fortune 500 company, he puts his pants on the same way I do, one leg at a time. And my story, just like your story and all you listeners that are listening to the podcast is valuable and it is important. And today, you and I have the opportunity to share share our story through the technology and the way we communicate it. And I'm also going to let you into something to everyone that's listens to their podcast. That 40 plus year old professional that was used to the traditional radio or the traditional means, the sad part is that he or she today is afraid of the new technology. And the only way he or she communicates their, their story is if they get invited to some kind of a panel, okay? But they're not actively using technology to share Share their story only if they're asked to do it. And so this is how we tell a story. This is what I mean by one of the ways it is, is changed. And again, I come back the things that you guys are doing. I'm so proud of you guys because you're giving voice to the voiceless. Thank you so much. And that definitely is one of the missions that we think about on our podcast is democratizing access to higher education. And we just don't mean that by like, oh, the ivory tower and the information about that will disseminate, but more so it's it's a two-way street of yes, definitely that does happen. But also the stories of all the other first gens that are currently going through, about to go through and have went through the journey and seeing the community and the power and the voice we have out there that we have created for ourselves. Well, when you look back at your college journey, is there anything that you wish you'd done differently? <laughs> yes, sir. Party less. No, just kidding, folks. Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> I did have a good time. I was, I did join a fraternity, you know, and uh, I had a great, great time there. But uh, gosh, is there anything that I can, would do differently is, you know what? I mean, I'm sure there is, but at the very moment, the journey that I took, even though, like I said, I struggled for about a year and a half. I really did. In college, it was tough. And then later, you know, I had a great time and, and so forth. I kind of found my groove. I can't think of anything that I, that I would change because life is, it's like the, the four seasons, right? Like we're going into fall. And so what's happening to the trees? The leaves are starting to fall, right? Starting to, and, and right. And then we're going to go into winter and, you know, no leaves. It's trees are going to look barren. It's going to be cold. And, and then spring comes around and you start seeing a little green buds, you know, and then summer, right? And the trees are like fully blossom and it's warm and you're out at the beach or whatever it is, you know, that you do for the summer. That is life. That sometimes we can't have those beautiful trees that are fully bloomed, those beautiful flowers, unless they get trimmed, pruned, and they're in a dormant stage, but the reality is they're not really dormant. They're just getting ready to blossom again. And so the struggles that I went through and the ups and downs 
challenge. It's just part of my journey and it's helped me today and overcome other life challenges that I've encountered since graduating from college. I can't agree more to that. I feel like there are definitely, even for me, some of my journey that was tougher than other parts of it. But I honestly don't regret any of the decisions I've made or, or experiences that I've had because I feel like I was able to learn a lot indeed. I mean, I wouldn't say I would, you know, happily go back to that time and do it all over again. But I, I really do know that, you know, I'm who I am today only because I had those experiences. Yes, yes. And for you, when you were going through, you know, some of those tough times, were there any particular resource that really helped you out? I, and again, I didn't know that this was the way to do it, but I stumbled upon it and I took advantage of it and I'm glad that I did and that it was available. And so, like I mentioned here, UC Berkeley is a 30,000 plus students, huge, you know, university, a lot of students, and you can easily get lost in so many students, right? And oftentimes your professors don't know you, they just see a number. I remember my econ 101 class, I had, there were 800 plus students in there. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm sitting in the nosebleed section. I'm like, the professor will never know who I am, you know? But what helped me tremendously is that in my major, it was a small department within the larger university. And that gave me the benefit to get to know my professors in the department really well, my counselor really well. And as a result, they served as support systems, as like guidance, you know, and encourager, and in some cases, a shoulder to cry on. And so, yeah, I just look at that and I'm like, wow, what a blessing that I had the benefit of a, of a, of a big university. In fact, you know, a few weeks ago, I saw on, you know, on rankings, UC Berkeley top university in the world or in the U.S. here, even above Harvard, you know, all that type of stuff. I'm like, wow, what? A, that's amazing. Okay. That's super cool. What was even cooler is that, again, I had the benefit of that kind of family feeling and support because I was in a smaller department. Thank you so much for sharing that. And hopefully, and I think I know that a lot of our listeners who's going through their college journey right now will find their own community one way or another, because I really truly believe in the resiliency of the community. Yeah, folks, I mean, definitely. I mean, go out there. Don't be afraid to reach out for help. And definitely, again, fine. And sometimes, you know, you're going to join different groups and you're just not going to click. Fine. Go find another group. Okay. Don't give up, basically. Just keep going and find a group or someone that will be your partner in crime here. Okay. <laughs> for sure. Then I guess we've talked a lot about your past journey. Now we're a little bit curious about where you might want to head to in the future. Do you have any plans for your future? Well, so I, like I mentioned earlier, I have my own company now, work for myself, or been doing that for six years. And I truly, truly do love what it is that I'm doing. What I love most about what I'm doing is that in the role of the training that I provide, the career development and leadership training, it helps me accomplish two core values of mine, three core values of mine. Number one is I love helping other people dream bigger. Number two, I love inspiring other people. And number three, I love serving or helping other people. And in doing what I do and do, doing it for myself, I have total freedom. Like if I want to do a free workshop tomorrow, I can do it. I don't have a boss or someone saying like, why are you doing that for free? You know, I just like literally can look in the mirror and be like, okay, let's do it or not. Okay. So yeah, I, I truly do love what it is that I'm doing. A future, one of my big things is that like, for example, this podcast here, this recording, this podcast I'm doing and others, I have my own podcast too as well. And I put out a lot of content on YouTube videos and stuff like that. But one of the main reasons why I do that is because my goal is I want to impact 
three generations back. Listen, I have kids. They don't listen to me. Okay. Most of you are not going to listen to any of the things that I tell you, which is fine. But you know, one day that kid who isn't even born yet, in fact, some of you is going to be your grandkids that are listening to this, is going to come across this podcast and be like, who's this crazy dude, Oscar Garcia? Oh my gosh. Like he's talking about some stuff that I could still relate to, even though he talked about it hundred years ago. And so it's that generational impact that I look to leave behind when I'm long gone. Wow. We really do hope and actually have no doubt that you will definitely have that impact on generations to come. And, and hopefully the lessons that you're sharing even with us today can be some kind of a support and resource for all the people out there. I mean, thank you guys for, like I said, for putting this together and doing this. It's a lot of work. <laughs> I mean, it is quite some work. We're not going to lie, but really interviews like these and, and seeing how much the listeners benefit really makes it worth it for us. I only have one final question left for you. Do you have any advice for the first generation students going through their journeys right now? Yeah. So everyone, I want to leave you behind with this. You know, we oftentimes hear that we need to find our voice. We need to find our voice. And I'm here to tell you that you don't need to find your voice. You have a voice. What we need to do is have the courage to use our voice. Because when we stand up and we, sh again, share our story as imperfect as we might be, it will help other people it's about taking our eyes off ourselves and placing it on the needs of others. And one of the reasons, like, for example, why I'm not active on Facebook, and it's not the platform, it's just what oftentimes people post is because typically people post all the good stuff, you know, like the selfie from a certain angle to make you look skinny or the guys that are like, you know, showing after a six pack from you're working out this summer. And it's like the reality is, folks, we get inspired by seeing other people overcome the challenges in life, the lessons that they learned, that's what in inspires us. And so use your voice. Don't worry about being perfect. In fact, the more screwed up you are, probably the more people you're going to inspire. Wow. Thank you so much for your advice. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom story and time here with us today. Uh, thank you, Jen, and the whole first gen uh, folks here. I appreciate you having me as a guest. Once again, thank you so much, Oscar, for celebrating first-generation college student date with us. It's amazing to see how he was able to navigate through his college experience via finding a community for himself and has propelled himself through his career to where he is today. I hope the stories and lessons that Oscar shared resonated with you and gave you some motivation, inspiration, and hope. Sometimes it may seem like the light at the end of the tunnel is so far away, but remember that the first-gen family is here to support you through the journey. We have no doubt you'll not only reach your destination, but also collect wonderful memories and life lessons along the way. Thanks again to our speaker, and thank you for tuning in today on How to College First Gen. As always, you can find us online at howtocollegefirstgen.org if you have any questions or feedback as we want to hear what you think, what you're struggling with, and how we can help. If you prefer to reach us on social media, you can find us at How to College First Gen on Instagram and Facebook, and HTC First Gen on Twitter. As always, remember you're not alone on this journey. Until next time. <laughs>